Podcast. I'm Laura Boisvert-Boyd. I'm Genevieve Nadler-Brooks, and we are your hosts. On the Boyd & Brooks Podcast, we want to bring you meaningful and fun spiritual conversations. In these conversations, we seek to explore vocational callings, authentic living, life mottos, and how faith and spirituality play an integral role in our lives. We hope that you will listen, enjoy, and share the podcast. We encourage you to subscribe to the Boyd and Brooks podcast on iTunes. It makes this podcast really easy to find in whatever platform you use to manage your podcasts. It also helps our podcast to be easier to find for other people. You can find us on social media. Our favorite is Instagram at Boyd and Brooks, as well as our blog, boydandbrooks.com. Here we go. Hey everyone, welcome back to season two of the podcast. This is episode two. two. And we have a special guest with us today, Sam Marsh. Yeah, as many of you guys remember, we talked about millennials last season um, and some things about spirituality, and we're excited. Sam, welcome to the Boyden Brooks podcast. Oh, uh, hey. It's good to be here. Yay. And, and- you're stated you're a freshman at NC State. Yeah, I am. Go, Go pack. pack. <laughs> We're excited that you're here to talk to us about, about what it's like to be a millennial. So we want to let you know, listeners, that in season two, we're going to do more interviews with millennials. And we think this is really important, Genevieve and I, in the work that we do. There's a lot of messages out there about what millennials want. And we were saying to ourselves, let's not talk about what they want. Let's talk to them and find out what they want. Yep. And what they think about church and all the things. Yeah, and spirituality. So why don't we start out first, um, friends that are listening, and I want to ask you, who are some people that have impacted your spiritual path, your spiritual formation, your faith? Um, Who are those people in your life? Were they family members? Were they just friends? Were they pastors or paid staff at a religious institution? Who has had the most impact um, on your faith? So Sam, tell us about some of the people that have impacted your faith walk. Oh man, okay. Uh, Well, my parents definitely had an impact on my faith walk. Um, I can remember when I was younger, uh, me and my mom, like maybe preschool, kindergarten, stuff like that, we would uh, go park at that lot on um, Oberlin and then get a ride on the bus to church every Sunday. I remember that and having a good time. And then once my brother started kindergarten, my dad taught him all the way up until high school. Didn't teach me though, no big deal. <laughs> um, and then uh, obviously I've had great experiences with youth leaders like you all and Chip. And uh, there have been a lot of people to affect my faith, so. Yeah, that's great. Well, one of the things I think we wanna ask you because as two female, um, leaders um, that folks have a lot of opinions can you tell us a little bit what it's been like to have female um, paid staff that have impacted your faith what was that like was it a what kind of experience was it for you I mean I think it was a great experience Um, I mean there were obviously there were men who had been youth interns and things like that before y'all and there had also been women working there when I was in middle school and um, I mean when y'all came in it was great it completely changed the way I felt about the youth program. Um, I didn't really come, I didn't really enjoy church that much in middle school. I mean, I enjoyed going on the trips a lot of the time, but other than that, like I didn't want to come to Sunday school and things like that. And then once I started high school and everything and Laura came around and then you came around a few years later, it really turned around and I started having a great time coming to church and like I wanted to be there on Sundays. 
So, Sam, you are the first male on the Boyden Brooks podcast. And um, I the reason I asked you is because I feel like we just spent four years together in youth ministry, which were really four wonderful years. And I feel like we have a lot of respect for each other. And just recently, over the last couple of months, we talked about some things that had happened and how our stories had intersected, but we hadn't really talked about. And one of those things was how... Um, you know, there, um, you know, we, we work at a, a great, a great church, um, environment and we, we work with a lot of amazing people, but there, you know, one of the things I struggled with was the sense that maybe there were people who didn't think that I could do as good of a job because I wasn't a man. And one of the arguments was, you know, maybe that um, I couldn't relate to young men in the youth program. Did you, did you ever feel that, that I couldn't, couldn't relate to you or couldn't, you know, teach you or guide you or mentor you? Did that seem weird? No, I mean, I never felt like that. Um, a lot of times it was just like, it, it, I mean, you're there to learn about God. It doesn't matter if it's a male or a female teaching you because honestly, we don't know whether God is male or female. He could be either one. Yes. I mean, I just said he, but that's just the way I think about God. People right. think about God in different ways. So right. I don't think it matters um, who is bringing your faith into the church. could be, I mean, for all you know, you could learn about God from a horse. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. People that ride horses really seem to have very... It seems spiritual. spiritual. It does. They, they seem to be... I'm not personally... That's going to be another person, episode of the podcast. We're going to find someone who's an equestrian and yeah. ask them about their faith yeah, life. Definitely. I think that's definitely going to happen. So, um, and I mean, I, I just found this such an interesting argument, mainly because in my youth group experience, my youth leader was a man. And... I, I legitimately in the the 2000s did not think that this was going to be an argument that would be impacting me personally right. and feeling like, okay, well, God has actually really called me to this space and to this time to be with these people, to journey with them, to lead them. That seems like the all encompassing thing. Like, right. well, if, if God is for me, who can be against me <laughs> type of argument. And so... I, I just didn't understand because I'm like, if you are going to tell a female that you're not sure she could do this job because she cannot be relatable to men, then you have to, logically speaking, utilize the same argument for men. Right. I will then say to you, oh, I'm not sure right. a male pastor could relate to female um, youth in your program. Well, I mean, I'm only what, 18, and I've already learned that you shouldn't tell a woman she can't do something. That, that is accurate. That is 100% accurate. Also, Brian, my husband, has learned never tell a woman to calm down. That is like putting gasoline on a fire. Right, right. Like when someone asks you why you're mad. Like, right. What are you mad about? Or like, why are you so mad? It just makes you more mad. Right. It does. Yeah. It does. Or are you mad? No, yeah. you, can, you know that I'm mad. Yeah. Do not be asking me about that. Right. Yeah. Well, I think one of the interesting things is that that also comes into play is that we we do work in a ministry that is on the bigger end it's certainly not um the the biggest um but we definitely search out recruit leader small group leaders and so even though you had us pouring into you you also had some small group leaders that were men that were laity in our congregation that were your basketball church basketball coaches um and 
uh, the small group leaders in the in homes and certainly like this is this is not like a program that's run exclusively by women no and we also have a co-worker in the youth department who is who is a man and so you also had access to him even though we were your directors mm-hmm. um so i find that really interesting do you feel like there have been some positive things that have that you've learned because you've been led by females i mean could you think of any i don't know um, I mean, I definitely think that being being able to be led by females and males leads to a more open point of view. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, people who have only strong women in their life develop a very different mindset than people who have strong women and strong men. And the same thing for people who only have strong men in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mm. it's been great that I've had you guys and the other men in the youth department and like my parents who are both strong-willed individuals um, to be able to kind of make me a whole round, well-rounded individual. I, I think that is so important because I think if um, – I want to talk about what the what, – what gender looks like in scripture. But before I talk about that, you know, I was definitely raised in a tradition where the, the theology said, um, men are the head of the house. Men, um, um, are the head and the leaders of the church and women should be subject under their rule. They, women should not be teaching men, um, in the church, all that sort of thing. So, I mean, that, that's very, that, that way of believing was very clear for me, but as an adult, getting to look at the scriptures for myself, um, seeing that Jesus's ministry was really one of equality. Mm-hmm. Um, there were many women that ministered with him and helped him bring the good news as well as um, his disciples. And he was constantly crossing over the boundaries, you know, when it comes to, to gender um, issues. And so... So for me, that just will always remain as the guiding, my guiding theology. It's like, what, what, what did Jesus's life and ministry look like? And what right. did he say? And what did he do? And how can I mimic that? Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think that, that when we, we do make a statement that, that Jesus was headed towards the fringes. And so it wasn't just about male and female it was also about who was who was on the fringes, and I think when you have someone other than a white man speaking that kind of language, I think it makes a statement about um, about what it looks like and what different people believe. So mm-hmm. I think I really enjoy being a part of a ministry that that is led by strong females. Um, but Sam, we also want to talk about your millennialness. Yes, um, as we move into this farther into the podcast. So Laura has found this great article. What is the article titled? Right. So first I like to just review, like I'm not a millennial. I just play one on TV <laughs> um, because I'm, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, but sometimes I definitely feel a little millennial-ish. Yeah. I'm definitely, um, I think there's a lot of really great things to be learned by that generation. But one of the things that irritates me most is this constant, constant conversation about millennials, that they hate the church, that they're rejecting the church. And I just don't believe that that is actually true. 
Um, and this is, but I do think that they want to lend a different perspective. They're not just going to go along with the way that we've always done things, right. which is great because I hate doing things just because we've always done something a certain way. Um, but this article is called Five Things Millennials Wish They Could Be. And we will put a link to this, people, so that you can reference and look at this article later if you want. But um, this is an article that's kind of been put together by um, the Barna Group, Lifeway Rice. Uh, Lifeway Research and the Rainier Group. And so there's like the five things that they think um, are really important for millennials. And so the very first one is, is our church real or relevant? Pause. Pause. Because this is where we have to talk about relevancy. Yeah. Okay. Go. Yeah. So one of the things that I think we rub up against all the time is relevancy and people's concepts of relevancy. And I think people equate relevancy to youth to youngness is somebody look young do they look hip do they speak the language of the kids um are they are are they hip and i think like i just want to paint an image for that and so what i think a lot of people are looking for or what they mean when they say it is like it's it's the young guy pastor right. with with the with skinny the jeans. skinny jeans and and the updo hair and the tattoos right. and, and the plays beard, in the beard and the, and the dark, glasses, dark glasses maybe plays the guitar right maybe has his ears pierced definitely because that's it edgy and right. edgy is cool and he probably got him pierced way back in the nineties early two thousands because he's always been cool right right and because he's walked the edge that's how he's going to be able to relate to right. more people particularly youth. Right. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. And we want to say, yeah. Sam, Sam's not a fan. I don't, I don't trust a guy in skinny jeans. <laughs> so I think that one of the things in ministry across the board, so in camp ministry, in church ministry, one of the things that I've really realized is that, yeah, that can be really appealing to your eyes. Mm. But I think that the people that are the most effective in ministry and especially in building relationships and loving teenagers are great listeners and they are committed to showing up and they are committed to loving people in really hard situations. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you can have some great male pastors that love skinny jeans, love their beard, love their glasses and their earrings that do those things and that's great. But I think there are also some adults that are older that love teenagers that want to show up in a real way and want to listen and want to disciple people and are walking the way of Jesus, that they're, they don't look like that at all. If anything, they might be the opposite. They might be wearing pleated khakis and be coming from, you know, their accounting firm after Mm -hmm. uh, work. And I think, I think those people are who I would rather get involved in my ministry than somebody that looks really cool or that seems, quote, relevant. I think relevancy Mm -hmm. is – what you read this article, and I forget what the – Well, I think one of the other common misperceptions is that church needs to be edgy and flashy. Right. In in terms of your service – your music, like, does it need to be with a band? You know, does there need to be a light show? Does it need to be a concert venue? I mean, Sam, is that the kind of thing as an 18-year-old college freshman that appeals to you? No, I mean, like, if I want to go to a concert, I'll go to a concert. I'm not going to church to see Bruno Mars or something like that. Like, Yeah, right. So, so for you, like, I'm just speaking from your experience, like, when you are thinking about the church and, and what works for you, what, what, what do you imagine? Or what does that look like? 
Or what do you think you and your peers are looking, really seeking in the church? I mean, honestly, my favorite part about church was just being able to come somewhere and hang out with my friends and be able to talk about things that I didn't necessarily talk about throughout my regular week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one of the great things about church is it challenges you to think about interesting things and yeah. explore your faith. Right. I also think that, that we see this um, play out in conference settings like the high school conference that you've probably been a part of like some of the camp ministry that i've been a part of is that i think well tell me what you think because i have this gut feeling that some things being in nature are really important the casualness of worship at a, in a conference type thing that isn't in a church that might be outdoors like at a camp um the that people aren't wearing what you know their sunday best but that everything is intentional. So the music is really intentionally chosen. But I think the, the idea of discussion, you, I feel like you just rarely um, in student ministry do things where it's just there's a service and you don't go back and unpack it a little mm. bit. And so I think there's something about that unpacking that inherently involves community. Because what you just said was, or tell me if this is what you said, was that talking about things that I don't normally talk about. And I think a lot of our services um, are just a service. Mm -hmm. And it is worship, but man, those times where we get to after we worship, really talk about it and flesh that out, that's so important. Well, I think it is really important because I think that that's the realness of it. That's mm -hmm. the gritty realness that you feel mm -hmm. when you can shed that skin um, and be your whole self in a place like church. Because right. that means that you're, like for me, just as a developmentalist, when I work with students, it's it's from the whole level. I want I want to get into their emotional lives. Their how are they doing intellectually? Um, are they are they well physically? But are they well spiritually? And it's all of those things. But in, in your daily world, you don't necessarily always get to get into the spiritual conversation. And that's why I think church is still really an important space to have. And that that's kind of what I'm hearing you say, Sam. It's like, this is where we can do all of those yeah. things together. Yeah. How did that sound? Yeah. I mean, that sounded like basically what I was saying. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the second point was, is your church clear or is our church clear in our visual messaging? So I'm just going to read this first part because I feel like that's kind of ambiguous. But one of the keys, um, key ways your church can convey authenticity is by ensuring that what a person sees and experiences when he or she walks into your worship service is consistent with the messages heard and communicated in the service. The new, um, this new survey basically um, refers to this consistency between experience and messaging as visual clarity. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting because then this, this part of the article goes into the physical space of the church, which I find fascinating. And one of the things that um, someone says is we don't want to feel stressed when we go into church. The logistics of a building should not be a barrier for people coming into church. So the biggest thing is to create a welcoming space that isn't confusing. And so it's one thing if all of your messages and your sermons are about hospitality and welcoming, but your space is like utterly confusing. Right. Right. Where, where are the front doors? I don't know. I think, I think that's something that everybody has kind of gotten on board with. And by everybody, I mean restaurants. Mm. There, there's clear signs of where you order or where you wait to be seated. I think that 
gyms, right? If you go to the gym, mm-hmm. Lifetime Fitness, Planet Fitness, any of those, very clear where right. you check in, where you go, where the locker rooms are, certainly college campuses. Um, also libraries, kind of some of the public spaces. Mm-hmm. It's just very clear. They want to make it as easy as possible for new people that are coming to know right. where they're going and what to expect. And I think that churches in a lot of ways have continued to build, some churches have mm-hmm. continued to build for their members. And so it's hard right. to think, what about a brand new person or family or college student that's in the area? How are they going to know where the front doors are and what to expect when they come in. And so I think that, especially some of these um, newer churches or church plants that are in like strip malls, right? You've got, um, they're, they're just, t- they needed space. So they're in a, in a shopping center. And so I think they've had to be really intentional about how do people come in and see the space and know where to go mm-hmm. without having somebody pointing them in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I think because we're such visual beings, um, and I think retail stores or company or really, I'm thinking about restaurants or gyms, right? They they know they're not necessarily going to employ people who are gifted in hospitality, mm-hmm. right? They're probably employing people that just need a job, and so you don't want it to completely land on someone's plate to be like, oh, welcome to the fitness center. Here, do you need help on where to go? People need to be able to know. Oh, here's the registration table. Here's where I scan my ID, all that stuff. Right. Whereas I think in a lot of ways, sometimes churches are really dependent on their human resources to engage with somebody face-to-face and speak to them. And, oh, do you know where to go? Well, if you've got some people there that, aren't, that you know, are on vacation, it can be really confusing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. There's, this article, I feel like, goes a couple different ways with this. But um, I think there's the notion that millennials want some ultra-hip modern space. And I'm, I'm not sure that that's actually true. Um, and in the research of this article, one of the things that when they were asked millennials look at these word pairings about things that they preferred for their ideal church, 78% said community. And so does your space convey community? I think that goes back to the visual clarity and the messaging when you talk about that. Because if those things don't go together, it it seems um, disconcerting, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Sam, what do you think? Um, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think that one of the most important things for me coming to church is definitely community. Um, I don't really care how the church looks per se. Um, as long as I can figure out where to go, I understand that feeling of like getting lost. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I got lost in Target. Like it happens to everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I definitely feel like the most important thing to me about church is community and just being able to be in that community with people you care about and learn more and grow in your faith. Right. Yeah. And I think the thing about community is if you're a new person, how do you enter the community? How do you get access? Right. And mm-hmm. it's like if, if these things are not easy to find, <clears throat> to flow into, you know, I'm not I'm just not sure how how well you will do at inviting people into the community and giving them right. what they need. Um, I mean, I know that we've experienced that. Um, I mean, within our church, we've had a tight knit group of people. Mm-hmm. And some people have expressed that it might be hard for people to join into a new, join into our group. And um, I can understand how people would be scared or um, 
worried about something like that. But, and I mean, joining, like joining a community is honestly the hardest part of like this. It's hard sometimes mm-hmm. to find the community that you want to be a part of and to be able to fit in with the people in that community. But once you're in that community, it makes it worth it. And you find people that you care about and care about the same things that you do. Mm-hmm. So. And I think it can be so easy to forget that you're going to have new people. So I think for us, we've been really intentional the past few years about what is this going to look like, feel like for a new person mm-hmm. or somebody that's bringing their girlfriend, boyfriend with them or our neighbor. Are, how are we going to learn their name? How are we going to integrate them into the group so that they do feel like they belong here? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's so easy to forget that because you can be focused on the actual content of the event or of the service, whereas I think a little bit of intentionality can just go such a long way when you're thinking we need to be ready for people outside of our already established community. Mm-hmm. What is it like? What is this going to look like and feel like? Yeah. So my our guru, Dr. Brene Brown, says we are hard, hardwired for connection. Mm, yes. And so I think I think that's true for everybody, but I think it's definitely true for, for millennials. And so the church has to be making its way, whether it's programmatically or space-wise, to create connection. Absolutely. Reduce the angst, reduce confusion. Make make belonging and connection really easy. Okay, the the let's see. The third thing is is our church setting a place of rest or action? Which I love this because I've talked about this so much. That whole millennial generation being, you know, the helicopter parents, the doing of every single activity. You know, just the intense academics, very little free time for fun rest. Um, meaning that the church doesn't need to be there to necessarily offer just one more thing but um, needs to be a place um, to be. Right, right. I think, Sam, I'd love to hear your experience on this because we've, we've talked a little bit about why, about the negative connotations of millennials, um, I mean, being really spoiled, not committing to things, being really flaky, um, and 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 not giving money, right? Like we've mm. we've talked. Well, Laura and I have talked about that. Mm. Maybe not on the podcast about how millennials are really the least likely to you know be tithing right. in your community. And so when we think about some of these things, I was talking about how you know millennials for for even my whole existence, my parents could see my grades in middle school and high school by the computer, right? Like they could log in and see what my grades were. Um, my parents, I think about kids now whose parents can see their location um, via their cell phone or whatever <laughs> tracking device, but how parents, it's a different world out there. Parents mm-hmm. want to know where their kids mm-hmm. are and, and cell phones, being able to contact somebody immediately, how that I think has affected millennials' brains and what, you know, how we operate in the world. That, But then also there are these positive things where the whole like everybody gets a trophy thing, right? People just go bananas over that. And I think for me, how that was explained to me was, well, everybody on your team is really important because if that person wasn't there, your team wouldn't have been as good as it was. Right. And so when you think about 
um, the ways that kind of that millennialness plays out for you, um, what do you think of, well, tell me about why you think that rest and a place of Sabbath and a place of restoration would be important to millennials versus the, the action items. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I think that the way that you describe people referring to millennials as flaky and things like that, I think that that can be true of maybe a larger proportion of millennials than generations past. However, I do think you'll find people like that in any generation. Preach it, Sam. <laughs> Say that one more time. Um, I mean, I think you'll find people like that in any generation. And in every generation. Mm-hmm. But Thank you. one thing that I think has taken into effect is that um, Americans today are becoming, um, and America was already an individualistic society, mm-hmm. meaning that it was more about the want of the self right. versus a collectivist society, which is more about the want of the group. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are realizing that as time moves on, we're becoming even more and more individualistic. And so I think what you brought up about millennials not necessarily giving as much. I think that there are going to be some millennials who are going to give hundredfold what anyone in generations past would have given. And I think that there are some that are going to be much more stingy. But I feel like all in all, it'll work out to be the same as generations past. But it's just because people are becoming more their own person today than they ever have been. That's why they're giving a trophy to everyone because everyone's their own person. And while personally, I don't agree with giving everyone a trophy because if you didn't win, then sorry, maybe you get a medal or I'm a snack. Sa- I am with Sam on this. Yeah. yeah. Or you can have a snack. Like when you're younger, every millennials love some yeah. and goldfish. Well, I mean, like the team mom would always bring a snack after yeah. the game. Like you get a snack. Right. Maybe not. Maybe not a trophy. Right. But. Right. Well, and and I think too that. I, I really think that the church in a lot of ways has been a leader in many different things. And I think the idea of tithing, I think the idea that we can do more with our money if we put it together. And I think in so many ways today, lots of organizations have followed the church's lead. I mean, you look at Kickstarter, you look at um, being able to like fundraise for trips you think about the ways that people are fundraising just for school things. Mm-hmm. Like the church in so many ways, I wonder if it was a leader in that. And mm-hmm. so right now, who is asking you for money? You've got so many different things that you may be giving to oh, yeah. that suddenly the church is not the primary place that you're giving money to do good in right. the world. And so I think that the church went back to that clarity and where mm-hmm. our words matter You've got to paint that picture for millennials more so than you might have had to in generations past because millennials aren't going to do something just because you're supposed to do it. Right. You, you've lost – society has lost the trust right. of millennials in that in that sphere. Right. Yeah. What do you mean I'm supposed to do something? You guys break yeah. promises all the time. So tell me where my money is going to go and why you need it. Tell me how I'm going to be a part of this bigger – bigger thing i want to know where my money's going because then i'm all on board millennials are super loyal i think and that once they're in they're all in oh for sure And so i think back to the the thing about rest versus action i think that again the church is not the primary place that you could necessarily go to even for community Mm -hmm. so the 
there are so few places now that are places of rest yes. and restoration that um, taking a spiritual rest we realize is so important. I mean, Sabbath, it's like one of the first things in the Bible. Right. You, I think that the church has something there that very few other places are offering. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that that's one thing that millennials are looking for. Is this a place where I don't have to wear all the masks, wear all the fancy clothes, <clears throat> pretend to be something that I'm not, or have all my barriers up? What are these people thinking about me? But a place to be. Right. And that, that also goes back to that authenticity piece. Right. And, um, yeah. All right. Uh, four and five are two things I'm going to combine together for us to talk about. But... Uh, four is, is our church being Jesus? Mm. And um, five is, is, is our church helping millennials find mentors? Those are the last two things. But four really is about, you know, millennials coming to church are not there to necessarily listen and just to hear what you think they want to hear. Mm-hmm. They don't want the easy way out. I think they they want to hear the really meaningful hard things. I mean, do you think that that's true? I I for, totally agree. I think that that's true. I mean, I don't want to just be told what I want to hear that like I want to be able to explore my knowledge. I don't want to just be told that Jesus loves me and that's great. I want to know why and I want to know mm-hmm. what we can do to further that connection to him. Yeah. Well, and also I think church can be a place of disagreement. Absolutely. You know, I feel like Sam and I do not necessarily always agree on things politically speaking. And I right. think we are, we do have a lot of same theological things. But I'm sure right. if we started digging deeper into that, we right. would find things that we didn't agree on. But we have this mutual respect for each other. But we also know that in church, that it's a place where we can do hard things together yes. and, and delve into those things. And I think that's that's what people really want. Yeah. I've heard from a lot of millennials Um, I think there are so many opinions out there between Facebook and blogs and YouTube that I think that millennials really want to be educated in theology and doctrine and want to know what the Bible says and what what do the professional commentaries say because Mm -hmm. everybody has an opinion and Mm -hmm. everybody thinks their opinion is really important. So you guys are bombarded with opinions constantly. I've heard from many students um, and college students like, but what does the Bible say and why would it say that? Mm, Like they're not interested in really what I personally think unless it's directly connected to that. When When I'm teaching, I always start from the point of view of, what does this matter? Why mm-hmm. should why should this matter to you? Right. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like if I don't start at that place, then it's all just garbled words together. Right. And so it's it's the context of everything that matters and getting into the the big picture. I think because then that goes into. I mean, I think that definitely the big idea that we would ask about the story, we would read the story, and then we would ask who was in it, what were they doing, and I feel like that's the most most important question. Is that after you study this scripture, you need to realize. Why? What is important? I'm so proud. <laughs> I, um, but that's the thing. It's like I, I, we in the church. We want to equip people to. It just makes me so happy that that you just said that. Yeah, yeah. I also think too. One of the things, your go-to is not to spoon feed. Your go-to really can handle really um, complicated content. <laughs> 
that it's going to be a new term. Not the right. I believe that so much, but that also goes into my theological beliefs about priesthood. Huge movement to more fully integrate youth into the larger body of the intellectual and theological mentorship comes together. And yes, they can do hard things. And they. I just think that the biggest thing that anyone should be looking for and go out to brunch with their granddaughter, you know, um, they just need to be looking for community. And you can go and sit in the pew on Sundays and listen to the pastor. And then afterwards, you can feel like you can just go out and shake his hand and say thank you. And then you can just talk to your friends for a few minutes. Right. I mean, honestly, like the be- the best parts of church are the community. And I think I think I wonder if that also comes from the this idea that millennials, you don't need to go to church to get a great theological nugget, if you will. Mm. You have access to YouTube. You have access to podcasts. You could listen to any number of sermons mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. You, you could go volunteer for Habitat. You could go be the hands and feet of Jesus pretty easily right. with an organization that is doing that. And one of that, that you're really looking for, that community piece, that's what's going to make the difference. Exactly. Cool. Well, friends, I hope you've enjoyed this Boyd and Brooks podcast. Sam, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll have you on again in the future. All right. Till next time. Bye.